episode of the Comical Heathen. I'm your host, Dr. Jerry Chaffee. The Comical Heathen, where religion and satire combine together to make a chocolatey cup of delicious comedic goodness. Thank you so much for joining us today. I am so excited uh, about today's episode. Today's episode includes my interview with Dennis Blair. Dennis Blair's headlining comedian uh, who uh, made his uh, debut on the Carson version of The Tonight Show. Went on to be an opener for such great acts as Rodney Dangerfield, Joan Rivers, and George Carlin. And continues to tour and produce comedy. And I was so excited to be able to sit down with him a couple months ago. And in this episode, I share the highlights of that conversation with you. Helping me get there will be my co-host for today's episode, John Hensler. Uh, John's a Cleveland-based comedian, a very good friend of mine. Uh, He has appeared on The Comical He's In Before co-hosting a couple of my earlier live Q&A episodes. And he uh, was a host for one of the live shows I did in Cleveland in 2019. So we'll get to Dennis and John shortly. Any first-time listeners, let me let you in on the background for this podcast is simply that I am writing a book about religious satire. And I started this podcast to share some of the interviews I was doing, as well as some of the ideas I was developing. So in addition to the interviews, uh, this podcast always includes some of my thoughts about critical thinking skills and religion, things I've noticed in the news and in pop culture, and things I have on my mind. For example, uh, just recently I came across an article. It was from a 2010 issue of The Atlantic, but it had a headline that is uh, one of my kind of pet peeves. And so it kind of sent me off in a direction, and I'm going to share with you a little bit about that article and why it triggered me. Uh, The headline went like this. All patriots know that Moses wrote the Constitution. Byline to Garrett Epps. In this article, Epps visits uh, in a church basement in Virginia covering an event called The Making of America, presented by a group called the National Center for Constitutional Studies, The lead instructor of the event was Arizona Justice of the Peace, Lester Pierce. Given Pierce's uh, take on the Constitution, it turns out that a church was an apt place, since his uh, description contained very little history, almost no facts, and was more of a fairy tale than an educational experience. Just to give you some highlights, for example, things uh, covered in Pierce's workshop or include things such as the Constitution. God wrote it. Our government comes directly from the government instituted by Moses when he led the children of Israel out of Egypt. Further pseudo-history taught at this workshop, the Founding Fathers, led by Thomas Jefferson, copied the Constitution directly from the ancient Constitution of the Anglo-Saxons. Because, in fact, Pierce taught, the Anglo-Saxons were among the ten lost tribes of Israel, a belief that has been dubbed the British Israel Theory, and in addition to being considered bunk and hokum, both bunk and hokum, is also considered to be anti-Semitic. These were the kind of lessons being taught in the Making of America workshop. The National Center for Constitutional Studies, I think they're using every word in that incorrectly. It's not national. It's not really a center. They weren't really talking about the U.S. Constitution. They obviously hadn't studied anything, and I'm not even sure they're using the word for correctly. As this uh, God wrote the Constitution, malarkey is a pet peeve of mine, I actually covered this pseudo-historic notion in a season one episode when I discovered an appearance by former Speaker of the House Texan Tom DeLay. Uh, He said pretty much the same thing on a Christian radio show in 2014. And he said, and I'm quoting here, that America has, quote, stopped realizing that God created this nation, that he wrote the Constitution, that it's based on biblical principles. Of course, DeLay also once said that he had a conference call with the Lord, which raises questions like, does the Lord use AT&T? Or wasn't there a burning bush available? Or did Lord tell him what the song Royals means? Besides the fact that there is no, like, uh, actual evidence for this fantastical fantasy claim from the fantasy worlds of Delays and Pierce's epic imaginations, even the more, like, basic idea that the Founding Fathers may have been religiously motivated is, is also erroneous. They were, by and large, men of science and logic and were trying to avoid the national religions like, you know, the Church of England or the Vatican. They were intentionally anti-theocratic. You know, this is easy to glean if you just look at uh, the Constitution itself. 
There are only two explicit mentions of religion, both of which set guidelines against the government using it. And the Lord, DeLay claims he had his conference call with, is never mentioned by name. Uh, no, wait, I, I correct myself. The Lord is mentioned once in a date at the end when they signed it in the year of our Lord. The one thing that the Bible has that would make the Constitution more readable is the erotic parts. I wish the Constitution had lines like the Bible has, like, Thus you longed for the lewdness of your youth, when the Egyptians handled your bosom and pressed your young breasts. And a loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. And my lover is to me a sachet of myrrh resting against my breasts. Myrrh. The Bible, whacking material for the Bronze Age. Also, quick aside, uh, we know who wrote the Constitution. It was a communal effort, including ideas and contributions by men like James Madison, Alexander Hamilton, and Thomas Jefferson. The process was presided over by George Washington. The document bears 39 signatures, including Benjamin Franklin. Unless these men were in some like hypnotic trance, mumbling, God is great, God is good. Not everybody worships him, but everybody should. Like some mashup between Glee and the Exorcist. Delay and Pierce's wild assertions to the contrary amount to pseudo-history, like Holocaust deniers, Shakespeare doubters, and people who claim Wham! was a great band. And when politicians and other leaders like lean on this or propagate this idea of the Constitution was written by God, what we're experiencing uh, from a rhetorical perspective is uh, what's called the, uh, the logical fallacy argument from authority. This is when debaters, arguers, and speechifiers rest on their power as influencers as reasons listeners should accept their assertions. Like when evangelical preachers tell you how to vote or senators with snowballs try to deny climate change. They expect their followers to believe them. And mind you, this is different from actual experts. Since it is reasonable, for example, to take Neil deGrasse Tyson's assertions about Pluto to be based on fact and logic, since that's like his job. But if Neil tries to tell you that Wham! was a great band, his career as a leading educator of science should not influence our uh, reaction to his opinions about music. Likewise, DeLay being a politician does not make him an expert on either history or religion. Being from Texas, he likely knows little about either, while thinking he knows more about both. Just automatically believing a politician who otherwise lacks credentials in a field is like trusting a crocodile who gives you advice on vegetarian cooking. Not only does he not know what the fuck he's talking about, he also likely doesn't have your best interest at heart. Uh, speaking of crocodiles, I have a uh, little story that I use with students to illustrate the argument from authority. See, there's probably some evolutionary pressure on how our brains developed that makes us susceptible to um, trusting authority figures a smidgen more than probably they deserve. Just imagine this hypothetical. It's just a hypothetical. I wasn't there. Imagine if 10,000, 100,000, a million years ago, our ancestors had, uh, like, there's a mother and two small children. She's telling them, don't go down by the river. There's uh, crocodiles down there. And a crocodile, eight-year-older brother, uh, Seth, so Seth was eaten by an alligator, so I'm telling you, do not go down by the river. Now these two little children, one believes uh, his mother and stays, you know, by the village. The other one says, hey, I'm going to go down by the river. I don't care about all that blah, blah, blah. Goes down by the river, Pump! alligator eats him. Poor little dude. I hate it when that happens. But what happened there was the child who was more obedient to his mother actually lived longer, whereas the child who disobeyed his mother got eaten by the alligator. So the tendency to follow along with instructions from authority figures may have some evolutionary pressures to it. And also that just sort of explains what we mean by argument from authority. Do we just believe our parents because they're our parents, even though they may be very smart about some things, but not experts about others? Well, I'm going to get into this with my co-host, John Hensler, so maybe it's time to bring him on board. We, we spoke a couple weeks ago by Skype, and it's a, it actually, uh, the audio turned out okay, but it is a little Skypey in places. You probably know what I mean. Maybe I shouldn't even say anything, 
Maybe I shouldn't even say anything. You know, it's like that famous French proverb, que s'accuse s'accuse, which I believe translates as, let's eat some cheese, drink some wine, and swap wives. Signed, the year of our Lord. I'd like to bring on my co-host now to help me talk about some of this stuff. Happy to introduce a very good friend, Cleveland-based comedian. He's been on the show before a couple times in season one. Please welcome John Hemsler. Go on, Jerry. How are you doing? I'm okay. You know, in these pandemic times, we don't get to see each other that much. So it's good to see you. I hope you're doing well. I am. It's nice to have a little bit of FaceTime, even if it's virtual. So yes, to our, our listeners at home, all, you know, 12 of them, we are talking through Zoom. So hopefully uh, the audio technology supports our success instead of fucking with us. So I was just going on a little rant about Tom Delaney and other personages who have brought up the idea that God wrote the Constitution, Jesus wrote the Constitution. Uh, You know, when you heard me babbling about that, what was your immediate reaction, John? I just think it's funny that in the interview, he says we got off uh, we got off of the right track whenever we became a secular nation. I just right. think it's funny how people of a conservative ilk seem to love the founding fathers as long as they agree with them. Yeah. And once they don't agree with them, it's like, well, we need to kind of rewrite the history to make sure that they got it right. Because I mean, fundamentally, we are. I mean, we can argue the First Amendment, the Establishment Clause in the Constitution, yeah. you know, Thomas Jefferson's letter to the Danbury Baptist Church, yeah. talking about the wall of separation of church and state. We are fundamentally started out as a secular nation. So we didn't get off on the wrong foot. By his belief, we started off on the wrong foot. Yes. From the moment the Constitution was ratified, we were a secular country. Right. Yeah. And it reminds me, too, of biblical literalists, just in the sense of, let's say, some conservatives will have this literalism about the parts of the Constitution that they want to be a certain way, like the Second Amendment. Right. But have anything about separation of church and state or secular values And now that's either misguided or you're not interpreting it correctly, or we're supposed to remember that they were all religious. Like now it's not a literal document. It's to be interpreted through the lens of history only when it serves their purposes. I mean, when you look at it, the reason why they did it, and this is what I was always taught, even as a conservative and as a Catholic, I believe that the separation of church and state was essential so that you had the freedom of religion. Yes. You, if everything was a Catholic, if we were Catholic, then you would have to be Catholic. You couldn't even be a right. Protestant. Yep. Certainly couldn't be a Muslim. Or So the reason that was in was to protect our right to believe as we right. believed or to not believe. Also, something I mentioned it in the monologue, but I want to get your take on it. The Constitution only mentions religion a couple of times, and every time it does, it's to say not to follow religion. <laughs> right. Like there's a part in the Constitution I can't do chapter and verse off the top of my head that says there should be there shall be no religious test to hold a public office. So there, religion's mentioned to yeah. say that it's not to be a factor not. in the politics. Right. And God is only mentioned once by name, yeah. and that's in the yeah. date at the end. Yeah. In the year of <laughs> the year our year Lord. Of our Lord. Yeah. That's the only time you think that you know. A theocracy would mention God more than once in their foundational document. Well, I think it really comes down to an issue where uh, most Catholics don't know what's in their Bible because they never read it. And most Americans who, you know, hearken to the Constitution don't really know what's (laughs) in it because they never read it, which is inexcusable. I can see why you've never read the Bible. It's long and boring. The Constitution is not that long. It's easy to read. It's not easy to read, but it doesn't take long to do it. You can do it. Yes. The college I teach at some years on Constitution Day, we give them out, give them like little books about yeah. I'm making gestures right now, people at home, but I'm making little hand gestures. Yeah, it's a few pages long, is what I'm saying. You can. Read it's it. shocking too, because like I think as a kid, you're growing up, you think it's this big long document, right. but when you do see that little pamphlet, basically, you go, oh, "That's all this is." But it's not meant to be a giant. It's not meant to be the codified law of the land. It's meant to be a structure of, you know, this is how we get to the law. The law needs to fit within this structure of it. Which I think is interesting because if you look at the Ten Commandments, first three would be unconstitutional. Right. <laughs> you know, I am the layer of your God. You should have no other gods before me. Well, no, the First Amendment says that's not true. Uh, <laughs> don't take my name in vain. Again, that's a First Amendment issue. And I don't think anybody would be cool with us forcing people to go to church every Sunday. So, or Saturday, I, depending on the belief. I do think just because a politician, you know, a religious leader, or even your parents tell you <laughs> X, Y, or Z, that doesn't automatically make it true. One thing I always say to students, John, so I'm gonna just make this point. There are actual experts in the world. You know, there's a pandemic going on. I listen to doctors because they know about 10,000 times more than I do about 
illness and germs and you know uh, the the field. So Absolutely. And you're listening to an expert. It's at least reasonable to start with what they're saying. So I'm not saying reject expertism, but the argument from authority is when you accept statements from people who are not ex uh, who are not otherwise experts, but have your respect as authority figures. If your uncle says, "Oh, you don't need to wear a mask," that's a bunch of hooey. You might respect him as an uncle or an elder or so, or even as what he does. Maybe he's a great businessman or something, but he's not a doctor. So you shouldn't respect what authority figures say just for the sake of them being authority figures. Yeah. And I think there's a difference between arguing the expert opinion or the expert argument or the facts that expert put out and saying, well, this expert agrees with me. You know, and, and that's kind of a nice shortcut for a brain because I, I like to call the back of my brain that kind of is very reflexive, our monkey brain, right. and the front of the brain that's kind of me, so to speak, that kind yeah. of thinks about things and slows things down my sapien brain or just the yeah. front of my brain. And the back of the brain just kind of likes to have conclusions. It, and it doesn't like to change these conclusions because that's hard to do because it's not just changing your opinion on one thing. It's changing everything related to that opinion. And sometimes yes. you might have to change your in-group because your in-group might not accept you or you might not feel comfortable in your in-group anymore because you've changed a major part of your life. So your brain doesn't want to do that. So it finds ways to kind of keep from doing that. But the front of your brain, I think, wants your belief to be founded. It wants to have some reason why you believe this. So whenever your back of the brain comes to somebody's argument that kind of makes it kind of question itself, it wants to find some authority figure yeah. that allows it to be like, well, no, my belief is grounded as well. And right. the more you're willing to do that based on your own belief, the more you're willing to say, well, Dr. So-and-so said this, or this person on the news said it, or I saw a YouTube video all the way until what the president told me. Daniel um, Kanderman, I'm mispronouncing his last name with apologies but he wrote a book called Slow Thinking Versus Fast Thinking. And it's exactly on this topic of our brain wants to come to conclusions quickly, partially because it conserves energy, like literally it takes less calories, but also because studies have shown that quick decisions are better than no decisions. Like if you're in a crisis, right. it's better to do something than nothing. Right. If you hear a noise and you jump under the table and then it just turns out to be the wind and not a bomb or a lion, you look foolish. But if it had been a bomb or a lion, Jumping under the table might have saved your life. So right. evolution kind of favors this quick decision making, regardless of accuracy of data. So slow thinking is that other part of the brain you're talking about where we actually like, you can just say like, slow down and think about it for a second. What are right. the facts, details, math, science? So argument from authority uh, lets us reach conclusions very quickly. Because right. we can just go, well, our, my dad said so. So I'm just right. the president said so. But I'm just saying it's a natural human tendency to want to believe an authority figure like the president. Well, I think even, again, going back to my, my childhood, there was a sense of even if the president was the party that you weren't or you didn't agree with them, they were still the president and you still gave them the respect right. and just because they were the president. If that isn't, and I think that really leads back to why our founding fathers didn't want us to be a theocracy because right. they saw how in Europe, the Pope could say, well, I'm appointed by God right. And so not only can you not question me, but you can't, or not only can you not question God, you can't question me because I'm speaking for God. And these yeah. leaders who I've ordained who all agree with me, they speak for God as well. Yeah. So it, I think our founders saw the problem with that yeah. Rubicon or, or, or whatever and just yeah. wanted to get away from it. Just to make clear how potentially silly it is to say that God wrote the Constitution, <laughs> we can do our own pseudo history and decide who wrote what. You wouldn't take a political leader or an uncle seriously if they started to try to tell you that Godzilla wrote Harry Potter, <laughs> or if they told you that, you know, um, Richard Nixon wrote Hamlet, <laughs> if they if they tried to tell you that Macbeth wrote the Baga Davida, <laughs> or that Led Zeppelin wrote Inagata Davida, or that <laughs> Chumba Wumbo wrote Tub Thumper, although that last one might be true. All those weird syllables together just ran together in my head. <laughs> but, you know, you just if you put it in such a silly context, it can maybe highlight how silly or potentially silly it is to even say such a counterfactual statement. Well, yeah, I think it's fair. I and mean, if we're going to just use fictional beings or mythological beings to say that they wrote the Constitution, mm -hmm. it's worth it like saying, or, well, which mythical being? Mm -hmm. Because if you look at the Ten Commandments, really only three of them made it into any kind of American law. Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill, and thou shalt not bear false witness, which is really only illegal if you're sworn under oath. Right. So I think it's interesting, maybe it's worth looking at maybe the 11 satanic laws of Earth to see what <laughs> those stand. 
and, and uh-huh. kind of like do like a comparative analysis and see if we can figure out which side wrote it. Because a lot of them were just good advice too. Uh, like, you know, do not give opinions or advice unless you are asked. Mm-hmm. Good idea. Uh, do not tell your troubles to others unless you are sure they want to hear them. Not a lot. You know, maybe learn how to read the room, you know? <laughs> if a guest in your lair annoys you, treat him cruelly without mercy. Okay, like that's a little excessive. That's not really a lot. No, it but, depends but I, on... I think Cheney ran with that one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, it depends on which side of the aisle you're on, I guess. <laughs> when in another's lair, uh, show him respect or else don't go there. That's, I don't know, necessarily a law. I mean, it could be, you know, if, if someone's in your house disrespecting you enough, you could probably at least call the cops and have them removed. You also find that in diplomacy, I think, you know, send our ambassadors over to Japan and just walk around with our shoes on, you know. we right. learn our... the culture, yeah. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so number five is the first one that's a law. An interesting uh, absent from the Ten Commandments. Do not make sexual advances unless you are given the mating signal. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that, but okay, so there's one so far. Yeah. Uh, number six, do not take that which does not belong to you unless it is a burden to the other person and they cry out to be relieved. So that's a law, right? Do not steal. And the added bonuses help your fellow man if they need it. Uh, this one's weird. Acknowledge the power of magic if you have employed it successfully to obtain your desires. And if you deny the power of magic after having called upon it with success, you will lose all that you have obtained. Kind of silly, not a lot, thankfully. <laughs> You know but, what, though, uh, about that one, I've always thought you you could reverse that or tweak it, maybe interpret it. Here, I'm going to be a satanic interpretist now instead of a literalist. Okay. That statement <laughs> is about science to me. And okay, all I mean by fair. that is if you've successfully conducted an experiment, like boiled water, now you know what temperature water boils at, to then deny. So if you just substitute the word magic with science and say, like, if you have learned something, if science has learned something climate change, evolution, the earth is round, then you shouldn't go around denying it. So that's interesting because I was explaining to Kelly the other night, as I've heard it explained as if you find like a ritual or something that works for you and leads to your success, don't stop doing that. Continually do it because it's leading to your success. I've heard people say meditation is my magic. And Kelly was saying more to me that if if you employ magic and it works, don't deny that it works because right. you know then it won't work for you so it's kind of along the way you're saying it too of if you realize something scientifically speaking this is true to then to go back and deny it so i think it's interesting in the first part of it it's not saying it doesn't say just believe in magic right it's acknowledge right. the magic power of magic if you have employed it successfully only right. if this works right. i believe in it and i think that that's kind of what i was responding to because there's almost a implied scientific method to it like right yeah if you've gone yeah, through ritual X, Y, and Z, and it's now working, then you've kind of tested it in a way, right? Yeah, that's interesting. So I thought testing. this one, I thought this one, oh, this one's silly. This will be just a nice throwaway one, but that's the most interesting one so far, so. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so number eight, not, do not complain about anything to which you need not subject yourself to. Boy, do we all need to hear that from time to time. Yes, it's why I took Facebook off my phone. Oh, that's such a good idea. <laughs> I should probably do that. <laughs> Uh, number nine, another one that's a law, but oddly enough, not in the uh, the Bible. Do not harm little children. I would say don't even harm the big ones. So that's three to three so far, and we have two more left. Number ten, do not kill non-human animals unless you are attacked or for food. That's certainly a law, right? You can't hunt outside of a season. If you do, you have to use it for food. Yeah, animal cruelty uh, so- is not allowed. Hunting licenses are required. Right. Yeah, so that there's four right there. And we haven't even gotten to the 11th one, which is good because this got another weird one. When walking in open territory, bother no one. If someone bothers you, ask them to stop. If they do not stop, destroy them. Well, you can't have good advice, but commandments without at least one destroy them in there. I mean, come on. Yeah, certainly. (laughs) (laughs) What kind of sense could you be? Again, you could probably uh, compare that to some law, you know, to some, you know, um, self defense law, especially if you live in Florida. Yeah, and I think we've also fairly concluded that the Constitution was not written by God, but obviously by Satan. Absolutely. Just all this talk of Satanists reminds me of um, January 6th. For <laughs> first-time listeners of this podcast, uh, we're recording in February, and we don't do current events here because we're not uh, up to date, like The Daily Show or something. But January 6th was a historic event. I think we'll be talking about it for months or years to come. And there was this one, um, let's say, suspect someone who has been apprehended for his activities during January 6th. 
uh, he's a suspect for his involvement in the storming of uh, the Capitol building. John and I have this story in front of us right now. Do I have the name right, Adam Newell? Yes. What did Adam Newell say that got him on our radar for this conversation, John? Well, it's interesting because he's one of the people who went down and stormed the Capitol building and didn't seem to understand why that was an issue. Uh, he live streamed himself driving back home, and his quote was, there was destruction breaching the Capitol building, our building, our house. And to get, to get in, you had to destroy doors and windows. But the fact of the matter is they destroyed a lot more than that. Uh, yeah. They desecrated right. so many different, I mean, I mean, there was a memorial to John Lewis that they just ripped to shreds, defecated the place. So there was a lot more than just breaking yes. windows. He says, there are stories to tell from generations upon generations that hopefully, hopefully it pans out that this will be a positive revolution. Hooyah. Yeah. To go down here and to do what he said was he hoped that he was going to uh, instill fear into lawmakers and leave them shaking in his boots. But yeah. then when asked about it, he said, I'm not a terrorist. Yeah. I'm not a traitor. I just wanted to terrorize our leaders. Yes. Yeah. I'm not a terrorist. I just wanted to influence their votes through terror. But I'm not yeah. a terrorist. So I'm going to influence their uh, votes by breaking things, as he yeah. said he did, and illegally yeah. trespassing and like the argument from authority, again, we'll let the courts and history figure out Donald Trump's culpability in all of this. But he did say statements that day and leading up to that day, like fight for this, even that the election's being stolen despite all legal evidence and court rulings. He was espousing what we are now generally being characterized as conspiracy theories. But some of his followers, you know, took what he said at face value. And I think it's are hard you, for them not not yeah. to, especially when you, I, I think you can't just look just at what Donald Trump said either, because there was speaker upon speaker going before him. A lot of uh, appeal to 1776, which I think is important because these people, again, I don't want to say these people, the, yeah. the people who stormed here who were planning this, and, yeah. and most of these people love the revolution. They love the idea of fighting a, a, yeah. a totalitarian source and, and, and be willing to die for that. And they back to that how our ancestors spent you know their finances and risked their finances and spent their blood to do this yeah. that's almost directly inciting this i feel like and the thing that really i first noticed about the adam newbel case specifically was you know him saying i'm not a terrorist in his defense but then there's video footage of him saying how he wanted to like intimidate congress and it just makes you want to just say like get a dictionary like how seventh grade do we have to get with some of these people? Right. Do not know what the word terrorist does, and then meet what the word terrorist means, and then what does that say about? Again, not that anyone is smart or stupid or has a high IQ or low IQ, but if, what are you thinking about then? Like, what is your fast thinking versus slow thinking? Show me your slow thinking. You know. That's the other thing I was thinking too, because like whenever he said, you know, uh, this will be a day for us to remember for generations, and hopefully it'll be remembered as a positive revolution. And that's like that struck me weird because it's like, what, what do they think they actually accomplished? Right? Because this was the day after he's driving back. Like he clearly thought, like, okay, we did something worthwhile here that's going to yeah. lead to a positive revolution. I don't think they really understand what that would look like for them to actually overthrow the American government would probably be years worth of wars yeah. if it wasn't just like squelch in a matter of days. <laughs> yes. And general, I like to think, well, what would generations to come think? Like, what will his grandchildren say when they visit him in jail 20 years from now? That's, <laughs> what yeah. will the two of them talk about? Oh, hey, uh, that um, phone ringing is there to remind me, John, that I've been inviting some of my friends to just phone in with their own complaints. Hey, look, we're getting a pop in. It's my friend, uh, Marv Connor. Hey, Marv. America, you don't realize how much this COVID is destroying the American family structure. Do you know that if your wife gets the shots for COVID, and she's perfectly safe to go out now, she can go to bars, she can go to parties, she can have fun, she can go to the kids party down the street, she can go to the ball game, she can do whatever she's doing, and you're stuck at home because you don't want to die. Do you know the pressure it puts on a marriage? Let alone the fact that you want to have sex, but you can't because you don't know if I mean, you know, they say even though you get the shots, you could still die from it. And said so she can have a good time, but I could still die from having sex with her. I mean, is sex that deadly? It could be, I guess. I don't know. I don't understand COVID. I don't understand too many things. I just know she's got the shots. She's having all kinds of fun. Last night, she didn't even come home. Is this a COVID problem? It could be. I think it is. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's a Marvin problem. But if a wife gets shots, we got to make it that the husband can get shots. I, I, 
it's just not fair. It's not fair that she's having so much fun and I'm not. I can't even. Uh, just, do dogs give you COVID? You know, all of these the Comical Heathen episodes include an interview with a comedian or some other interesting person about satire, comedy, art, whatever. And as it happens, I had an opportunity to interview Dennis Blair. Dennis Blair is a touring headliner. He's open for a lot of great acts, including Rodney Dangerfield, Joan Rivers, and for the last 20 or so years of his career, George Carlin. Yeah, this ought to be interesting. I bet you he has a lot of good stories. He does. This was a fun interview. Let's, let's hear what he has to say. So coming up next, my interview with Dennis Blair. Well, this is your host, Dr. Jerry Jaffe, and I'm very pleased to introduce to you our guest today. Comedian's been around a long time. I remember seeing him on The Tonight Show uh, a few years ago. Please welcome Dennis Blair. That's very kind. A few years ago. That's very kindly put. I think it was, I think it was the 18th century, I believe. I the 18th the century, show, yeah. Television, television was still steam-powered back then. <laughs> yes, right, right. It went on rails. Your website does have a video of you from the, back in the day, and... The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson often had co-hosts, or guest hosts, and right. that was with Joan mm-hmm. Rivers, who you were yeah. opening for back then for a period. And you are kind of known as a guy who's open for a lot of people. That seems to have been uh, what I fell into for a large part of my career, just, you right. know, I, I did comedy, and yet it was musical comedy with a guitar, so, right. you know, I could open up for actually comedians, and it wouldn't really interfere with anything they were doing, because that was so sure. certainly nothing like they what they were doing, so sure. it'll, it won't work <laughs> out in the end. Um, I mean, your bio lists, besides Joan Rivers, people like Rodney Dangerfield and George Carlin and others. From your perspective, you have an idea of what, what you learned? I mean, when you're opening for the Beatles and you can see the Beatles, we assume you learn something about music or show business. So right. you open for some greats. What did you learn along yeah. the way about comedy or show business? Yeah, well, I mean, from each one, I mean, there were a lot, like, like I said, there were a lot of people I opened for, but the, the, but, but the people who, you know, I opened for... Uh, for a long time, for long time periods, were Rodney and mm-hmm. Joan and Carlin, and for a year, Tom Jones. I don't know how much I learned from Tom because I'm, you know, he's a lot sexier than I am. Uh, I think most people would agree. But from Rodney, I mean, you know, the main thing I remember getting from him was just get to the punchline as quickly as possible. He would get all these jokes. People would write him jokes, and they would send them in, and they'd be, they'd be too long, and he'd right. just like cut away the stuff that's not necessary. Right. So just the economy of scale, I guess, was the, was the big thing you got from Rodney. Just get to oh, the, yeah. he, he, he cut away the fat. Just get to the meat, you know, <laughs> his tie, which wasn't there. Then moving on to Joan, uh, you know, I mean, just the work ethic, the output. And and I think the main thing with her was the energy. I mean, her live performances, you know, the Tonight Show was good, great for her. TV performances was great, but the live, the, they didn't capture the energy of her live shows. It was just amazing. Okay. She's out there in a Bob Mackie gown. And by the end of the show, she's giving away gigantic potted plants on stage to people in the audience <laughs> say hey do you want a plant and it's like it, literally it must have weighed at least 30 pounds i don't know how she lifted it but she had that kind of energy carlin of course talk about work ethic you know i mean i remember opening for him the first time i opened for him luckily my show went well enough so that they kept me on and i was feeling pretty good and then i went up in the audience and i watched his show <laughs> and it was like oh it's an hour and a half of things i've never heard before I'm going, hmm, I really need to start writing because, you know, this is, this is how you become, not that I would ever approach the greatness of any of these oh, yeah. people, but, well, you know, that's how you become it just, so, so the work ethic for him like, uh, plus, you know, plus he, he was not known as, his physicality was great too, the way he acted out his, his sure. stuff. Sure. So that's the main thing, I think. How about the years on the road from business perspective? Like, what did you learn about the entertainment industry? I mean, get your check right after the show. That's, <laughs> that's the main thing. It's not not wait till they mail it to you. Mm-hmm. In business, well, uh, you know, I, like most, like many comedians or show business people, I'm terrible at business. I'm horrible <laughs> at self promotion. Stuck in obscurity probably halfway because of that. Mm-hmm. So business wise, I don't know what I picked up. I mean, I know Rodney was good at it. All these people, by the way, had these great managers. You know, okay. took care of all that stuff. But sure. uh, unfortunately, I was never lucky enough to into a really good manager but you know the checks cleared yeah and i was very always happy, good and i was very happy with always that. good to get get paid the night of the show i'll tell yes. you um my father he's in his 70s and he's still with us but he's a former professional wrestler and oh. when he was headlining he would get paid before the show 
Good idea. You know, he would not go on, especially if right. there's anything even remotely fishy about the venue or the gig. Of course. <laughs> well, you know, that's, of course, Chuck Berry, legendary. Yeah. He had to be paid, I think, either in cash before he went on or a cashier's check or a bank, you know, one of right. those things. Yeah. Probably smart. You know, <laughs> I, I kind of trusted Rodney Dangerfield and Joan. And sure, sure. In that situation, yeah. absolutely. What was your father's name, wrestling name? By Dr. The way? Jerry Graham Jr., Oh, I'll have to look this up. Right. Jerry, Dr. Jerry Graham Jr. Okay, I'm going to yeah. Google this afterwards. There was a Dr. Jerry Graham Sr. from the older generation, like the 50s through the 70s, and they got yeah. into like a father-son act. That's great. A wrestling act? Yeah, well, <laughs> persona, their persona, their, okay. their ring personas. Yeah. I only mention that because if you or anyone else now try to Google him, there are two Dr. Jerry Grahams, like, you know what I mean? So you got to get, get the, junior. the junior. I'll include a link to one of his matches in the description of this uh, podcast for people. Great. So on this podcast, what I'm interested in is satire. I am, in fact, supposedly writing a book about it. So be that as it may, I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. I noticed that your bio, like your sort of tagline, describes you as a satirist. Yeah. I, what does yeah, that mean? Uh, it's kind of a loose definition, I think. I mean, you know, I mean, my act developed over the years. I mean, it started as just dopey song parodies, but then mm. I guess, you know, you can't just do that you know, for <laughs> half an hour. It's like, you know, people would get tired. So, you know, mm. the, the patterns started emerging, you know, in front of live audiences. And, and basically, I wouldn't ever call myself a political comic, but back in the days when it was safe, safer for an unknown comic to get into politics, during the Clinton era, era I was, you could do satire i mean i had a song called the battle hymn of bill clinton which just you know brought into play the monica stuff and okay the, i tried marijuana but i didn't inhale i mean you could do stuff like that even if you were on his side and just people would laugh you know right. it would be no welching of the sphincter as they say <laughs> but now forget about it unless you're someone like bill maher or right. uh, lewis black or someone who's known for politics and they have their built-in audience yeah you know, it's hard yeah. to do that but i would yeah i would put in a lot of political and, and, and sociological stuff and, and just try to get laughs mm -hmm. from little one-liners that I would I would stick in. Now you have to be really careful. I mean, let uh, me just say, just ask you, when you say re be really careful, what are you being careful of? If you, if you, like, if you do a joke about Trump, for instance, sure. you know, and you're not a known comic and the people are there just to see a comedy show with comics that, well, we hope these guys are good. Okay, as soon as you bring up the name in these days, you're right. going to hear, like, it, you can almost feel the audience tightening up, half the audience, going, oh, what's he going to say? Is he going to attack him? You know, mm -hmm. and then the other audience is going, I hope he attacks him. You know, <laughs> so you got your 50-50 split there. So you have to find the angle into the joke. And I, I wish I could think of an example, but, you know, where it, it takes on what's, I guess, what's happening uh, as opposed to attacking the actual person. You can take a chance and attack the actual actual person. But you're also taking a chance, like having half the audience at least going, you know, you right. suck. I want my money back. You know, he's our president. You know, that kind right. of deal. It's, it's a weird time right now. Can you think of a example of an audience that our audience member that turned like particularly ugly, like turned into a situation you had to manage? Uh, my act, I, I stay away from politics these days just because mm -hmm. of that. Because, mm -hmm. And also you want to get hired back. You know, you don't want to get, sure. <laughs> you want to get a club owner calling up going, yeah, you've got a lot of complaints and I'm sorry, we can't, you know, you're funny, sure. but we can't use you, you know, sure. you can, you can do it if you have the bravery and uh, you can, and if, I, I suppose if they're really on your side, sure. you can try it, you know, but yeah, I, but it's just one of those really hairy hairpin kind of situations where, I don't know how involved I want to get uh, in, in an audience that paid to see comedy and not not get tense. Mm -hmm. I mean, do you have any advice for that person? What would you tell a young comedian who wants to do satire or religion jokes, how to do it that? It depends on the comedian. I mean, this guy just kind of put it out there and, you know, you could tell that he didn't care about the reaction. And, right. you know, I mean, that's what, that's what Carlin does or right. did. You know, I mean, he just didn't care about the reaction. Obviously, he died way before the Trump era. But he wouldn't care. He would just go on and do his, his rants about people right. in general and politics in particular. People would just mm -hmm. stare at him. And these are fans. Half the, some of the audience just stared and going, why is he, why is he doing this? He's, right. You know, not making me laugh, you know. So I would never tell a comic, oh, don't do that. You know, I right. mean, if that's what they feel, they should do it. Just make sure you're really good at it and make sure it's, it's, it's a kind of a punchline where people can if not laugh right away, think mm -hmm. about it later and go home and go, mm, yeah, has a point, you know? Yeah, it's just a weird, it's just a weird time. You can't, I, I've seen people that, you know, they're, they're not mm. extremely famous, well-known, and they just go on stage and they'll come out with a joke like that. And mm -hmm. it just doesn't really land. And, 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 and 
it's like they don't care or they're right. surprised, yeah. which is surprising that yes. they're surprised that I got that reaction. <laughs> but, you know, if someone wants to go for it, I am not the kind of person who would ever say, oh, no, you shouldn't do that. You right. Know, like, hey, sure. you know, sure. maybe just work on it a little bit more. Work so. on it a little bit more. There's your advice right yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Just work on it a little so, you know, you don't get met at the, at the stage door after the show and go, right. hey, come here, you know beginner writers or amateur writers don't realize is how important editing is like editing is 90 percent of writing yeah and i think that's like part of the work on it like uh, sometimes young comedians regardless of their talent or sense of humor like write a joke and then they think they're done like <laughs> right uh, the right. first draft is probably not the home run version of your joke right and, and there have been interests in my own experience where i'll have a joke that i've done for years mm -hmm. and it's gotten a, a pretty good laugh but, but not amazing mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden one night i'll come up with hey let me try this like a different finish for it right and it's like 10 times better and i'm going <laughs> why did i do this like 10 years ago when i came up with this dopey bit right. but you know it's like it just sometimes it takes a long time to get it but yeah yep. you just got to keep just mm. keep at it until you know the point is really made and, mm. and yeah you're never you're never finished you know it, it right. can always be better you know you can, you can always beat up on yourself even carlin who's like obviously t one of the best that ever lived mm -hmm. uh i saw him in an interview once and around you know he was starting to get really sort of pointed not and, and mm -hmm. incisive about mm -hmm. his comedy he said yeah i finally I finally figured out how to do this. Now, this was in around 1994 or something. And I'm like, you finally figured out how to do this. What chance do people like I have? You know, It's like, you just figured it. But apparently he just like, he's one of those guys who would just sit down and, and come up and, and write and write and write. And I guess refine it, refine it, refine it until it was perfect in, in his mind and then just go out and do it. But even he edited. Well, he famously uh, on his HBO special that, was recorded very soon after September 11th, changed his mm -hmm. opening. Do you know what the, the original title for that special was going to be? I, the original title was supposed to be, I kind of like it when a lot of people die. That right. was the original title. <laughs> Luckily, <laughs> he did the special after 9-11 because if he had done it before 9-11, right. it would have been out there going, hmm, hmm that's yep. embarrassing. Yep. You know? Yeah, and I mean, he had controversial takes on September 11th after the fact, but right there, like, the month of September 11th, he's recording a comedy special. <laughs> well, we we were in uh, Vegas when it happened, mm -hmm. and they canceled the show that night. Mm -hmm. But we went on the following night, and we're, I'm going, is this going to be any? Is anybody going to be laughing? It was like one of the best audiences we ever had because they just needed, you know, they needed a release. Regular show, he didn't cut back anything. You okay. Know? Yeah, there's there's a point where you know you, if you want to do that, you just decide to do it and stick with it, and mm -hmm. you know take the consequences and not care about the consequences. And I admire that. How about religious satire? When, you know, it's one thing even to bring up Trump, but bring up right. Jesus, like that's a whole other ball of a kettle well, of worms. Well, I guess I'm all for it, first of all. <laughs> I was raised Catholic, and, you know, I, I kind of bailed on that, uh, you know, when I was in college, you mm -hmm. know, as many of us did. And, you know, because, you know, the, the, the hypocrisy and the organized, I mean, you know, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm fine with people with religion who mm -hmm. need religion i almost envy them because they have sure you know they're sure they're going to heaven when yeah. they die or whatever yeah. that's a very calming thought you know yes uh, but for Indeed. someone like who want who and i don't do that really but someone who does religious satire and so yeah i mean there, there's a lot to make fun of with organized right. religion i think right uh, especially in these days when it's just so obvious that people are just you know on the one hand oh we're for this but we're against this yeah. how do you melt yeah. those two things you know there's a there's a lot of great ground to be covered there, you know, and I'm sure that's probably some of the things that George would be talking about today. You said such an important word there. We could follow up on that for a second, which is just hypocrisy, like a hypocrites, double standards, right. Right. dogma a little bit. But I mean, you're not going to hear a lot of jokes about Jesus or... Right. Uh, a, a caring Christian who is trying to take care of their neighbors. It's evangelical well, well, two, preachers and two-faced exactly. politicians. Yeah, and they claim to be Christians, and yet look yeah. at what they look at what they condone. You know, yes. and look at what's fine with them. You know, yeah. look at what. Oh, if you're this person, you can get away with that. You know, right? But you know, well, two of the two of the things that jump out in my mind is you know Carlin's big line from years ago. Where he says, you know, the, uh, about the abortion thing, you know, they're they're all in, they're all in favor of the unborn, but once you're born, you're on your own, right. you know, those <laughs> brilliant things, you know, and and, and even in a Woody Allen film, I forget what I think I think it's Hannah and her sister. Woody Allen uh, had Max von Sydow say the line, uh, 
about it was about a, about religion and he said you know if jesus came back today and saw what was done in his name he'd never stop throwing up yeah That's it's you know if you can do that you if you have the skill to do that it's mm-hmm. it's it's just it's almost easy you know it's like there's so many facets of religion that you can just like rank on because come on you know oh yeah you say well, this and yet you do this well you know i mean you know evangelicals versus a guy who grabs people women by the genitals yeah you know i mean it goes way back to there you know mm-hmm. i mean come on you've yeah. got to be kidding me you know right but they but they're they're really good at justifying you know right. they're really good at justifying things and 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 the people that believe that believe right. it you know and it's just amazing you know just how people just get you know you talk about cults you know yeah. you, you just believe what they want to believe and forget about the other fact you know forget about the facts uh one of the themes of the book i'm supposedly writing is whether or not religious satire i don't know changed in any way after september 11th you know you lived through those serious times as a comedian did you see any difference in satire or religious satire after september 11th I mean, I don't know how how popular or how well known Lewis Black was before nine eleven, but it seemed to be he got you know from what I've seen. I didn't I didn't watch entire specials. From what I saw mm-hmm. of his show, he got at least his persona was a lot angrier. You know. Oh and, sure. And, and 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 George, you know, started following that that path too, where he just you know he would almost he would almost do like a a comedy piece and it wouldn't have much comedy in it. It would just right. be sort of like an essay. You yeah, know? commentary. And, and <laughs> I guess nine eleven sort of pushed those mm-hmm. kind of comics into the into like being more vocal about what they really felt about stuff like that because it was such a life-changing event. Fun fact, and this is a thing in my book, but I'm interviewing you, so I'm going to try to say this in just one sentence. Um, Lewis Whatever. Black did the mm-hmm. first Comedy Central Presents half-hour special after mm-hmm. September 11th. Clearly, the producers had to say something. Uh, you know, we're bringing comedy back, our show back. And Louis mm-hmm. Black, of course, you know, he'll he's a guy who'll say whatever he wants. And he did a whole, the whole end, like the last third of the, the comedy special, so the last like eight minutes or so, is right. him reacting to some September 11th related themes. And it's amazing too. I, I don't. I guess I'm sure it picked up. I don't know the exact timeline, but I'm, the whole religious thing about the, oh God punished you. That's what you know. 9/11. I'm sure there were theories out there about you know yeah. he, it was his, it was his getting us back for homosexuality yes. <laughs> and all that kind of crap. And yet, you know, when something happens to them, mm-hmm. it's never brought up. The two facedness is just incredible you know yes with politics also in addition to religion the hypocrisy mendacity even just mean-spiritedness like all of this is ripe for satirical takedowns yeah (laughs) yeah yeah because and it's gotten so much worse with the with the rise of cable you know news yeah yeah uh you know and and people assign themselves to their tribes and once you're in a tribe you believe what you want to believe and the other the other Mm -hmm. side sucks Mm -hmm. and you don't care about the other side and it's it just keeps getting worse, you know, and sure. yeah, it's, it's a weird thing because, you know, people, I'm sure when comedy clubs reopen, they'll <laughs> be going to comedy clubs to get a, partially to get away from this shit. But then you need certain comedians and, 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 mm-hmm. and speakers to come out and say what they feel in, in a way that will get people thinking, yeah. oh, yeah, you do have a point there. You know? well, some so it'll be interesting to watch what happens. Some comedy clubs have opened in Ohio. Funny Stop in Cuyahoga Falls was the first comedy club to reopen uh, okay. over the summer. I did some shows over the summer, and, you know, pe- first of all, people were glad to get out. It's, it's just exactly the way you're describing, like, let's just get out of the house <laughs> and go right. have a good yeah. time. And yeah. I will say pretty much every comedian had something to say about the pandemic because it's like the elephant in the room. you got to have a, a joke yep. or a comment. But right. other than that, it was very, like, the very lighthearted comedy, like... <laughs> Yeah. It was not right. satire. It was not Trump. It was, <laughs> let's just right. laugh for an hour and have a drink. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've done a couple of Zoom shows. I don't know if you've done a few mm-hmm. any of those. And they're fine. And you, they have it now where you can see the audience members in little squares on yes. your computer. You know. But it's not, there's nothing like live. You know, I mean, yeah. it doesn't even begin to approach live right. performance. You know, when that, when that starts up again, it's just so crazy. I mean, just to see people just being... You can just you almost feel them going. Oh, I hope, hope nobody mentions politics. I, I, when it gets back full bore, I, I don't know what's I don't know what's going to happen. We, on the other hand, we can't let it drop, you know, because there's there's so much ground out there that has to be 
addressed, you know. So well, I mean, it's, it's, maybe I'll start. Maybe I'll become political. You Who should. Knows? Definitely <laughs> should. Start, started here today, folks. Or restarted. Thank you. Thank restarted here today. <laughs> you know, people will ask if satirist or comedy has really any effect on political life. Like, is it, is it just right. joking around or does it have a, a role to play in any kind of solution? It's funny that you say that because I'll watch, you know, someone like Colbert and, 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 and Seth Meyers, you know, mm -hmm. at night, they're making obvious sense to someone like me, uh, mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're going after the targets and how ridiculous, you know, these people are being and, can you see it? And then, like, you sit there, like, well, yeah, well, great. Well, I'm convinced, <laughs> and, and I'm sure, and I'm, I'm yeah. sure, I'm sure there's people who go, I'm not watching the late night shows anymore because they're against our president. Right. And it's like, yeah, but you just listen to the points they're making. They make <laughs> that's what gets that's what gets me and a lot of people that I know. It's like they're making so much sense, right? And yet people just refuse to hear it. Right. They just don't want to hear it. It's like, well, well, no, you're wrong. You know, you know, I mean, even, you know, the verdict came down today, you know, not guilty. And there's people that are going to say, yeah, see, he's exonerated. Exonerated, vindicated. No, <laughs> no. no he's not. No, no, <laughs> but they just, they will not, no one will listen to reason. There's somebody, it's like, we're, we're, it really is kind of like a civil war. Is it, is it just preaching to the choir? I mean, is that a fair criticism or is there more to it than that? I get the feeling that more and more it's preaching to the choir because I mean, if you know, I mean, if if you if you stopped and actually looked at the the, the reality of the situations that we're in, if if you were a rational thinking person, you would go, oh yeah, we can never have this happen again. Look at the seventy four million people said hmm. riots, uh, racism, uh, people being children being ripped from their parents. Yeah. People hating each other, people being killed. Yeah, let's have four more years of that. Yes. I mean, that makes no sense to me. So obviously, there's a choir out there that just will not hear yeah. sense. I mean, in a sense, you you flipped my question because it became like Trump voters that were preaching to the choir. <laughs> but I've asked like but, Stephen Colbert preaching right. to the choir. <laughs> but I, yeah, I don't listen to the shows that people on that side the right. aisle listen to. Yep. But I've heard enough. Yeah, I've heard enough where I'll just switch over or I'll listen, I'll switch, yep. switch my dial or on the radio going, this makes, this is, this is just lies. This is yeah. just lies. But they've got a guy who was, was a, who had this yep. evil charisma yep. and they just get sucked in. And uh, because I, I feel like I, I should, as a citizen, I will dip into Fox a few minutes here and there just to see right. how they might be covering something or, right. but it is very hard to watch. And I remember yeah. the last time I like I watched, I mean, for like more than four and a half minutes. Yikes. I remember because it was with a family member and that family member was watching and mm -hmm. it was Donald Trump six, seven, eight years ago saying about how he had hired a private detective to go to Hawaii right. and research. And he was a whole segment, like an hour long segment on Fox about mm -hmm. Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. right. And I was with this family member. I watched it with them. You know, we're family. And I was... Mm -hmm saying things like, he is clearly lying, he has not hired a private detective, you will never hear about this again, and the family, you know, if there's gonna be no report, the private detective is never gonna appear on, and the family member was like, no, Trump's, you know, he's doing important work, he's a real hero. Little did I, so A, that was the last time I watched Fox for more than four and a half minutes, but B, right. like, oh, the irony that the last time <laughs> I watched was Trump's yeah. big birtherism. Yeah, coming out yeah. party. <laughs> yeah, it's just and, and, and there's a, a unfortunately, and this is not completely surprising, but the extent of it, the the amount of people mm -hmm. who are just fine with racism. I mean, if they're not racist, they're yeah. obviously okay with it. Yeah, you know, for just picking on one specific aspect to to elect a guy like this mm -hmm. and to and to still cheer him on. Oh, then you're okay with George right. Floyd and all that sure. stuff that happened. Yeah. You're fine with it. Uh, immigrants being ripped from their family. But, you're, you're okay with it. It's really sad. What, if anything, can you and I as comedians do about it? <laughs> Not a damn thing. <laughs> Not a damn thing. <laughs> People 10 times, 100 times smarter than than, than I am have gone on TV and made totally great points and they've, they've done it articulately <laughs> and accurately and it doesn't seem to matter. You know, the only solace that I have is I do believe that, the, that that party is shrinking and those people are the extremist elements uh, right. i think there's relatively fewer than there were a while ago i hope i'm right about that right and, and hopefully that we will not uh, ease up uh, on voting and and yeah. getting rid of the filibuster and and i hope biden's successful and i hope that you know when people get their checks they go hmm 
maybe there is something to uh, you know a, a sane person uh, yeah. being in charge, a functioning you know? government trying to help people. Maybe yeah. that is yeah, an but, idea that works. <laughs> yeah, but but you know on the other side they're going to just like go you know well well, well that would be good you know you'll, they'll say things like well you know because Trump passed these laws that's why you got your checks and they'll believe it. So well, we just have to hope that yeah. enough sane people will go. Well, no matter who the um, under the current situation, maybe in a few years this will dissipate in a different direction. But it's mm -hmm. been for the past 10 years or longer. It doesn't matter who the candidate is. Someone on the right will call them a socialist. And I and I and it's my guess that people on the left, people on the right, 90 80% will not even know what socialist means. Right. If you tell what is a socialist, they'll go, oh, communist, you know, they won't right. even know. Just hear the word. Right. And, you know, Hannity said it's bad. So we believe. Right. And a debate teacher will call that an ad hominem attack. Like, yes, if, if you disagree with Joe Biden's plan for raising the minimum wage mm -hmm. let's debate the merits pros and cons yes, yes. but let's they're calling, they're calling him a leftist i'm going biden Are yes he's <laughs> a leftist socialist yeah biden is a leftist yeah and, yeah. and mother Teresa was a commie right yes <laughs> our mother Teresa was a cannibal right <laughs> she obviously, obviously she ate people yes, yes. In a, in well, it's hard mother Teresa's pizza kitchen it's hard to get rid of all those bodies in india it's a real problem it really there. Is. yes <laughs> well let's move towards the ending i do thank you for your time let me ask you just sure. this anything else about satire you want to say anything we didn't cover or thoughts on satire uh, I, you know, it's, it's funny being with Carlin all these years. I mean, I, I remember, you know, another effect he had on me was I did try to inject a couple of pointed mm -hmm. things and uh, remarks into my show every once in a while. Uh, no, nowhere near the, the skill mm -hmm. that he had. But I do sometimes feel that uh, I wish if they, I, you know, I don't care about, you know, notoriety or anything like that. I just enjoy doing what I'm doing. But I'm going, I wish I was a little more well known so that I could start writing a little bit more satire because right. I, I really do love it when I hear it and you know people that do it well like ah that's so great you mm -hmm. know I wish I had that skill but you know it remains to be seen sure we'll, we'll, we'll check it. it's, I'm definitely uh, I'm definitely for people who have the bravery to do to do that sure. you know that's especially in these times excellent well thank you thank you so much for your time and your thoughts sure. and I really sure. appreciate you know your your perspective and you know all the stories from the road and, and so forth. And uh, cool. I just want to say thank you, Dennis, for uh, spending some time with me. Thanks a lot. It was fun. Appreciate it. Good luck. All right. Cheers. I'll look, I'll look up your dad. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> okay. I'll appreciate it. Well, John, I really enjoyed that. Dennis is a well, very uh, gracious and a funny guy to talk to. And I enjoyed all his stories, especially, I mean, you can't get around the, all the people he opened for. Yeah. I, I just love hearing stories of like old timey comedy. You know what right. I mean? It's such a rich history from so many yeah. decades and such interesting characters. So it's always fun just to get somebody's inside perspective on it. And I think he was talking about how um, him and George, George Carlin had a show either on September 11th or within 24 hours of September 11th. And they had to like figure out what they were going to do. I mean, <laughs> how to do it again. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of a footnote to history, but it's an interesting footnote to history. Yeah. Before we wrap up, John, let's go through a couple things. We're recording in February, as I mentioned a couple times. Just this morning before we recorded, you posted something interesting on Facebook. Could you give us the, the rundown on that thing happening on TikTok? When I see headlines like this, I have to check the source and double check to make sure I'm not being punked here. Yes. <laughs> but apparently there is a conspiracy theory saying that the snow that fell in Texas is apparently fake. Okay. Uh, it's, it's faux snow, I guess. And the reason why, uh, and as somebody who was a bit of a pyro, pyro as a child, I could have told them this long before. If you hold a lighter up to snow or if you like take like a hair dryer and blow it, it's not just going to turn to a puddle of water in your hand. It's going to evaporate, you know, into gas pretty much immediately. So okay. people are doing this. They're, they're lighting the snow and going, see, it's not turning the water, it's turning the gas, which proves through some scientific right. reason or another that right. this is fake snow. Right. So pseudoscientific reason. Right. <laughs> and and the, I think the thing you shared was that this conspiracy theory, including videos of people burning snow, is right. running through TikTok right now or other social media? Right. Through TikTok, and I'm sure it probably will be through other social. I'm, I'm sure QAnon will pick up on it, and 4chan, right. 8chan. And <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's, it's just, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's just weird to me that grown adults can't conceptualize reality. 
to, I mean, they just, like you said, it, the brain just wants to have a conclusion. Yeah. It's easier to believe. I don't know if it is easier to believe this. <laughs> no, Maybe well, I mean, the thing to me, it reminds me of the documentary, um, is it Beyond the Curve? I always oh, Behind that. the Curve, yeah. One of the subplots is a flat earther who is doing his own experiments. Jaron, right, yeah. Right. And I actually, I mean this sincerely. I'm going to mock this guy in a second. But the first half of the story, I think it's great. Citizen scientist. Of course, he could yeah, do his own experiments to test if the earth is round. Of course, you could do your own experiment to see if snow is real by how it interacts with fire. The problem <laughs> is the second half. You've done your experiment. Yeah. How are you going to follow through on your conclusions? Yeah. And in that documentary, he keeps proving the earth is round. But <laughs> You almost feel bad for him, too. Like the yeah. one where it's like, okay, if I look and I can see the light, then that proves that the earth is flat. But if the light, if you know, if the guy needs to hold the light up to see it, yeah. then, and so the guy has to hold the light up, and you just, you can just see the heartbreak in him. Yeah. Like he has to accept this, but at the same time, he just does not want to accept yeah. it. So, I mean, I think it's similar, like these TikTokers and others, you know, I mean, they're caught up in a conspiracy theory. So their slow thinking is not functioning critically. Also, they don't have enough information about the different states of matter and what should happen when you put a lighter on a snowball. And I think this kind of goes back to argument from authority is I think a lot of people who kind of find conspiracy theories, they don't want to be sheep. So like whenever, like I got into an argument with somebody the other day about, he said, oh, I got the flu the last time I got a flu vaccination. And I was like, well, that's impossible. That's not, and they got really mad. And he's saying, well, you don't, you don't know what happened. And we said, well, scientifically speaking, you yeah. cannot have, and he called me naive for believing in the science of it. So I think a lot of them feel like you're a naive or a sheep if you just believe what science tells right. them. And these people out burning snow, they're doing science themselves. I'm not just believing what some science told me. Yes. I'm doing it myself. I'm the scientist. And right. like you said, you can do it. But there's more to it than just doing the experiment. Yes. I don't think we have time left in this episode to unpack conspiracy theories. Right. <laughs> if I was going to say one thing that goes to a lot of the things we've been talking about today, sometimes people on the right see people on the left who are talking about race or gender or transgender issues or PCness. And they and the people on the right want to say, want to accuse some of these people of playing identity politics. Right. And... I want to say that these people who are the accusers on the right, I suspect this is what um, Freud calls transference, that they're mm. experiencing something and then blaming other Projected people. Projected onto you, right. Because this is some of the biggest identity politics I've ever heard. Yeah. Your identity is tied up in believing God wrote the Constitution <laughs> or in believing a conspiracy theory. You can't, like, we can't just disentangle that through critical dialogue not in one conversation, right. not in just one, here's a fact. Even if we don't intend to be, what they're experiencing subjectively is their identity being attacked. Yeah, I think that's definitely it. There's a whole lot of consequences sometimes, especially if you've in, put yourself in a community that all kind of buy into this conspiracy theory or this false belief. It's hard now for you to, to kind of go, oh, okay, because you have to like find a whole new group of friends or find uh, you know a new thing that you're into, or like you said, find... <laughs> a new way to uh, project your personality. I, you know, it's not just that I believe this, I am a flat earther. I, you know, I am a Christian or I am a Republican. Right. I am a liberal. A lot of people attach their identity to that. So yeah, I think, I think you're exactly yeah. right there. You need to just not attach your personality to your beliefs. Yes. A physicist friend of mine once said, um, an opinion is an idea with an asshole attached. So that probably applies to all of us. But, yeah, it's probably, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You want to focus on the ideas. <laughs> not the opinions. Right. Hey, John, before we finish up, I just want to make sure I ask you, what, you got anything coming up? So I'm bound to determine to have an answer to this question at some point when you ask me. Me and Kelly Moore, <laughs> she's sitting right next to me and I'm putting the challenge on the table. She just stopped what she's doing and she's looking at me. So <laughs> I'm putting the challenge on the table. Her and I have been planning to do a podcast. I'm not sure exactly when we're going to do it. Maybe we'll try next week. If we do it, we'll kind of post on the social media. Sure. It might just be us being live and shooting the shit to see what sticks. It's a good place to start. Yeah, well, I think that's what we're going to do. We were watching somebody the other day who said, even if you're not good at it, your first stuff's going to be garbage. The fact that you're doing it is the first step to yeah, it. Yeah, you got to so. start somewhere. Awesome. John and Kelly's new podcast, To Be Determined. <laughs> Whatever catchy name we come up with. Yes, absolutely. I want to remind everybody that our April 11th is going to be our next live Q&A. Our friend uh, Jesse Pimpinello is going to be my guest host on that. 
So please send in any questions or topics you want us to discuss. You can email us at comicalheathen at gmail.com. Contact me through Facebook or Twitter. Smoke signals, carrier pigeons, whatever you got. <laughs> I want to mention our next episode. My uh, co-host is Dan Brown, and my interview subject is Brian Scott McFadden. And, uh, you know, this is a podcast is a, a work of uh, love. As you say, you got to start somewhere. We do have a donate button, so please consider donating whatever you can to help support the cost of this podcast. If I can finish up, I want to make sure I thank Dennis Blair for sharing time with me for my interview. I thank my friend Jeff Geddert, who is responsible for the theme music for season two. He also does some additional writing for me. I want to thank you, John Hensler, for being my guest co-host on this episode. No problem. And I want to thank the listeners. If you made it all the way to the end of this episode, please like, share, uh, retweet, do all the stuff that you can do. And remember, it might be your dogma, but it's my karma. And I'm all about spreading the love. Thank you.